Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. I talked about during our inner circle meeting today, you only get one shot on this. This is not a dress rehearsal. Right. So make sure you're paying attention. Uh, <clears throat> I know you're aware of the pandemic that has been going on for quite some time now. And uh, I highly recommend that you pay attention to what matters, right? And you matter and you matter. So, well, thanks everybody for being on. And again, Tom Miller here from Leaders Building Leaders. We've got a a great core group of Change Your World uh, participants here. Everybody's rocking and rolling, and I love seeing Natalie was with us uh, today, too, so it was great. She was a uh, part of our inner circle, and uh, Vanessa will be there with us on the Friday. So, um, and our um, Empowered Executive Inner Circle is a, a group of uh, charter school leaders now all across the country and coming uh, together each week uh, for a mastermind series very similar uh, to this, right? So. Uh, just the opportunities to get in a small community on a weekly basis uh, to share what's working, to share what we need help with, uh, to gain ideas and strategies. Um, so if you're not part of Inner Circle and you want to learn more, go ahead and email me, and I'd be happy to share it with you. Um, it's a real, real powerful, it's a powerful group uh, to be a part of. And I just love this. It's actually, uh, I was just rereading uh, uh, chapter six and seven. I was like, you know, I'm sure there's something I missed from, from chapter six. And the transformation happens one table at a time. And he says, when people meet regularly at transformation tables to examine, discuss, and apply good values in their lives every week, they're changing their perspective about their identities. And that's the whole point, right? Not only of this group that we're doing, but the other masterminds that we lead, whether they're book studies or whether they're just lifetime, you know, content, you know, I mean, whatever it is, the whole point is, is to change a perspective about your own personal identity. And I know this from my own transformation, being a part of mastermind groups that were more for about self-help and self-recovery, all the way through, you know, business uh, building and being now um, in these group in these groups with you all since, um, now it's been since March, of 2019, there pretty much hasn't been a week that I haven't been with you all in some uh, capacity, right? In some live or recorded a uh, fashion where like-minded people coming together to create change, change in themselves, right? Change in others. And it's just a critical, um, you should just pat yourselves on the back for being part of the group still. Because I think that's the hard part, right? It's, it's easy to just 
have good intentions and sign up for something, but it takes intentional action to be live every time, right? Or listen to it, you know, to the recording. I said, now we got some you know, people who are, uh, you know, listen to this across the globe and right now they're sleeping, right? And sometimes we have that one great group from, from South Africa, right? They like wake up in the middle of the night to, uh, you know, participate. And that's what it takes to go from here to there, right? We all have the power to change our beliefs about ourselves, right? Which means we have the power to change anything in our lives that we want to. All we have to do is just decide to do that. So um, later in that you know, chapter, John and Rob talk about disengage, and this made me think about what's all coming up for all of us, right? In-service days, okay? So in-service days, preparing for your first days you know, before students come back. Disengaged people rarely grow or stimulate growth in others around them. But when people are open and engaged, incredible things happen. Each person's contribution provides perspective to the others in the group. And the result is everyone's awareness about them, them own selves increases. And what I had mentioned to our inner circle group, but today I was like, I can guarantee that you're going to get more value out of listening to other people's questions than the questions that you bring to the group. Because their perspective is going to bring in new thought and new awareness in you. And as a result, you're going to personally grow from it. Um, but that disengagement, right? You just think about, you know, sometimes we have those teachers or staff members or even sometimes even administrators who are disengaged in the growth process during those very critical times. And so I, so, you know, transformation occurs one person at a time, but you have to be the model for it. You have to be the model for it. You have to make sure that you're uh, staying engaged. So, so you know, there was a couple of pieces just from chapter six that I just thought I wanted to make sure that we that we that we addressed, um, you know, prior prior to moving forward to what gets measured gets done. An email I sent you all. You should have access to the Hope Values Guide. So we'll practice that one tonight. We'll take a little bit of time. Um, to go to go through that. Uh, so if you didn't get it, just check back an email that just would have come to you a couple of minutes ago, and uh, I'll work to actually put it uh, right here in this in this uh, chat box when we get a second as well. So all right, chapter seven: What gets done gets measured. Would love to hear any uh, positives from over the past week, any aha moments from the past week, anything that's just um, something you just want to share. So anyone who's got a red light, right? Something kind of burning, like I, I got a problem. Anyone who has a yellow light, that's just, I'm a little kind of confused and could really use, um, you know, some, you know, some advice or anybody who's got a green light, something great happened and they just want to share it with us. Everybody's got the ability to unmute themselves So go ahead. Thanks, Courtney. <laughs> Courtney I'll just try to be. Right I'll try to be your awesome. Katie. <laughs> uh, um, I guess awesome. any day. I guess I'm at a yellow light. Um, it's something that I feel like is a concern, but I, I don't really know how to go about it. Um, so we're still in our summer session. We're in our second one, and I have a staff member that who worked with us for the first summer session 
Um, and we had some classroom things that we had to address. And now we're in second and we're still addressing the same classroom issues. And um, when we've talked to them about it, it's kind of just been like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I'll try that. And then we don't ever see what we are uh, asking for, like implemented. And on one hand, we're like, we need this to happen because we're, we need structure and we need all of these things to happen in the classroom. And then on the other hand, we're also like, okay, we only got to get to the end next week. So it's just kind of like, but we don't want to, we fully believe and understand like not having structure can a lot to having behavior issues. But I guess the concern or where I'm struggling at is because this is not necessarily a person that has worked with us before. And so it's like, where's that boundary at for, I need you to be doing these things because we've already talked to you about this and not having the, okay, we just got to get through next week. Yeah, sure. It's a common question. Um, would anybody like to take a stab at some either further questions or some feedback for Courtney? Yeah, that's a hard one. Um, and you said this is a person that hasn't worked with you with your group before. I, I think one just not making any assumptions and just seeing for what it is, um, that person doesn't buy in to what you guys want, which a lot of times can go against what they think will happen inside a classroom. Um, what suggestions do does the um teacher does the individual have for working in the classroom that is not in the plan for you for what the group has said what what alternative does that person have or give it they haven't given any like that's that's the crazy part we're talking about somebody who's got a solid 10 12 years of classroom experience so we thought we were bringing in somebody strong and then we get into a classroom and it's opposite and you're like, what's happening? Um, so like I did a follow-up with them today and asked a very basic, I was like, oh, do we have a seating chart? And they were like, what? That, that might help out if we have a seating chart. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just yeah. because I always, I value those, like in our first session, we had some teachers that came first session and they were upfront. They were like, hey, you know, you guys have a different culture and I would love to be able to take stuff back that I learned from you guys to where I'm at. Hey, if you were upfront and honest with me, I can work with that. It doesn't bother me whatsoever because you'll probably have something that we can use as well. But I just can't, I can't get behind just your answer is or your, your response is, why don't we just send the kid home? What? No, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. So always declare noble intent, right? You hired this person, right? Or somebody hired them, I would imagine, but not just volunteering their time, right? So let's declare noble intent that they're doing their best, right? And so I think, you know, part of this is, is uh, everybody's operating at, at a different level of awareness and some is high and some are extremely low. 
And if anything stuck out to me more uh, in Todd Whitaker's book, uh, Dealing with Difficult Teachers, is that ineffective teachers don't know that they're ineffective. If they knew they were ineffective, they would make a change. And I thought that was a really powerful statement. And at first I was like, they have to know they're not very good. And then I started to think about all the ineffective teachers that I've worked with and just realized, nope, I don't think they really know. And so this, you know, chapter seven, I think is a perfect example, um, you know, Courtney, about what gets measured gets done, right? So when you um, design what you want success to look like, right, and then you uh, deploy your plan. So, um, Mr. Miller, uh, we had agreed that all students would be um, transitioned down the hallway with an adult. And the expectation is that, you know, students walk with their hands on their side and they're quiet, so not interrupting learning. However, I came by your classroom today, or I was in the hallway, and I noticed that your students weren't being monitored and they're actually being interruptive to the rest of the uh, classmates. So help, so help me understand, how come you weren't there? And I'll give you every excuse I can, right? Oh, I had to tie my shoe or I had to get copies or there was a student who was like, I completely understand that, right? However, but this is what we had agreed and committed to. Do you remember that conversation we had with that? Yes, I do, okay. So what are some opportunities next time for you to get better? Like when I come by tomorrow, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be coming by tomorrow, Mr. Miller, and I'm gonna be checking out your transition. What are some opportunities for you to improve on that? And hopefully I'll give you some good answers, Courtney, but if not, you can give me some what you expect. And then after that, you could just ask, you know, how could I have communicated this expectation better, right? Now, tomorrow when you come by, if let's say I'm out there transitioning kids, but they're loud, is that improvement or not? The improvement piece would be you're out there now. Now we just have to there get them go. quiet. There we go, right? So I think that's part of the conversation is, how are you evaluating improvement? To them, and I think I shared with this, you know, before, when I was going through my first stages of recovery, I knew personally that I was improving as a person, right? Because I could tell I was just doing things I shouldn't be doing anymore. But not everybody knew that, and not everybody could see that because they just didn't know. So this person could I'm going to give him the benefit, him or her, the benefit of the doubt, could be getting better. You're just, they're just not improving as fast as you would like them to. And it kind of goes back to that, you know, when you plant a bunch of seeds in the ground and you got to keep watering them and watering them, right, and tilling and making sure no weeds are growing, eventually, hopefully something's going to sprout out of, you know, the dirt. Um, and that's what you're hoping. And so I think with this individual, right, what could they be successful at? And, you know, what are some things that you're willing to let go versus what are some things that are non-negotiable they have to improve at first? 
And it's very possible, because um, I'm going to share this, I think I heard this out of your mouth, that you said that they've got 10 years experience, so we assumed that they would be pretty good. Well, let me tell you, years of experience are irrelevant when they're not evaluative experience. And I've known lots of people who claim that they've been doing something for 20 years, but their success rate doesn't seem to be much better than it was 15 years ago. So I may argue, well, you may have done this for 20 years, but you don't have 20 years experience. You have one year experience doing it 20 times in a row. And that's the difference between an effective teacher because they're reflective on where they need to grow at versus a teacher who's just kind of going through the motions because that's the best that they know how. So I think if I were coaching them, I would be using my questioning technique to help them reflect about how they could improve. And then I would hold them accountable to the specific things that they told me they were going to do to get better. Because that's my job, right? That's my job. And when they don't do that, it's just say, well, you know, Mr. Miller, you told me yesterday that you were going to do this, but you didn't. So now you put me in a bad spot. What do I need to do to help you get better, Mr. Miller? What can you, what, what, how can you be better an hour from now? Let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's just worry about an hour from now. Maybe, maybe they just need to improve minute by minute. Maybe, maybe one full day's improvement is too much. And um, for some people that might be true. And that's sad to, to say, but let's, let's put a 10 on their head. And um, if they were doing something unethical, or cancerous, um, that's a totally different conversation, right? Not one we need to have here. But if they're just have a competence problem, right, then I, that's how I would address it. I would, you know, I would address it in that way and just point out to them in a caring but candor way, this is what you told me you, you were going to do to get better. And you didn't do it. So now, now we have a different conversation. You're either choosing not to do it or you can't do it. Which one is it? You tell me. And I'll still never forget the first employee I ever had to let go. It was on Valentine's Day of 2009. And I think I may have told the story to some of you before. And that was the exact question that I asked him. I listed out all the things that we tried to do to help this person. And then I asked him, what more could we do? And they said, nothing. So I said, well, then that, that makes me think that this relationship is over. If there's nothing more that you think I can do for you, yet you can't get better, then I can't have you in front of my kids. And that's when you weigh, you know, the one, one person's job versus the 80 to 100 kids that they were impacting on a daily basis. It was a liability. So that's where I think you get to that, you know, conversation, you know, how much farther you're willing to go. Because seven more days of really ineffective incompetent adults leadership can really do some extreme damages, you know, specifically because the kids who attend your school need competent uh, models. You don't need to see more adults who are, you know, failing them. Um, so that's just, that's just a, you know, decision you guys would have to make. And maybe they can, I don't know, do something else in the organization for another week but they might not be able to lead that class anymore.
And that's when leaders have to do the hard things. And then after you're done that, you ask yourself, what role did I have in this problem? Where did I go wrong? Like, did I call their supervisors? Did I ask them to teach a lesson? What were some of the things they may have done differently with my hiring process, knowing what I know now? And that's how you, that's how you get better as a leader, as you just go, oh, I messed up on this one. Oh, I gave them way too many chances. Ah, I wish I would have addressed that when I first saw it. My bad. I won't let that happen to me again. Because when you let it happen again, right, now you're becoming the incompetent person. You're the person who's not gaining evaluative experience to improve upon. And that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is I know what to do. Wisdom is, is I actually do it. <laughs> the biggest gap between in life is the gap between what we know and what, and what we do. So I guess that, that would be the conversation I would have with this person at tomorrow if you're able or, you know, somebody. Does that help at all? Someone put some vitamin C in this young lady. I have so much vitamin C. Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good, like, you know, so think about chapter seven, everybody, right? If you had a chance, you know, to read it or, or you know, study it more, what gets measured gets done. And one of the biggest issues that I know we have, not only in our field of education and, and our, you know, evaluation and our support of the other adults in the building and, you know, students is we're not always good at measuring the important stuff. We are more focused on measuring, you know, the summative or the end result or the outcome. But what's really going to get us more bang for our buck is measuring the strategies, right? The uh, deployment plan and the, and the outcomes of, of the little tiny steps, right? Remember he said, think, um, think big, right? But start, you know, small and test and fail soon and fail often and adjust. And that's what's going to make the biggest difference, right? So if you think about, let's use, you know, Courtney's, you know, teacher as kind of an example. Let's say that she has, the, I know she's going to have this conversation as soon as she's healthy. So when she has this conversation and as soon as, you know, maybe she'll see like quick, you know, quick improvement in this, you know, employee. And then you start to think, gosh, if I would have, had this kind of you know different you know theory ten days ago, what would what would be the difference? You know, what would be the difference in you know the result for that teacher, then therefore on the students, but also as you as leaders, because one of the biggest issues that leaders make or leaders have is they spend 80% of their time with the wrong people. As a school leader, you should be spending 80% of your time with your most effective um, uh, teacher leaders or your team. And what happens is we spend 80% of our time with our bottom 20%, don't we? Because they're the ones that take up all of our time. But what we really need to do is multiply the leadership of the individuals who are really, really driving the school or the organization in a better direction. And I know that that seems hard to even think about or grasp, but 
that was a huge mistake that I made because I basically fell under the assumption that my effective teachers don't need me because they're doing fine. When really, they do need you. They really need you. They want your attention. They want feedback. They crave feedback. They crave growth. And the more that you can grow them, the better they can multiply their leadership and impact the other adults and kids in the building. Um, so that's one thing to always be uh, thinking about because I'm, sh I'm assuming this human being is taking a lot of time, right? A lot, yeah. And so that's when you just have to cut your losses. So. Ms. Williams, are, are things improving on your end from last week? Um, I'm actually going to, I'm actually looking at leaving the school. <gasps> oh, wow. Um, yes. Um, there's a lot of things that have happened and transpired where I don't think there's a lot of respect coming my way to my position and Sunday was the nail in the coffin. So, and it, it, it goes to leadership. Um, the part where, where where really got me is when I send out a message and you as a principal just heart it because we use group me the principal just hearted it and then Sunday I resend out a message saying okay this is this is the expectation and a mentor comes back and said well we never did this and we weren't told to do this but when I asked you on Friday to do it you said nothing so I'm taking your silence as this is this is something that's going to happen but when the principal himself says nothing to support what i've said or to reach out to me and say okay they don't have to do this they have to do that and yeah that that was that was it for me i'm like i cannot follow someone who is not consistent and i cannot be consistent myself and if i don't have that support then i cannot lead effectively and it all goes back yeah. to that team yeah, I think we've all been in situations where we've been right, you know, let down by others and we've quit organizations and, and it's not that we quit organizations, we quit people. Right. So again, even in that same, you know, situation, it, it always goes back to, okay, like when I think about when I left the office of charter schools, you know, I, at the time I blamed my boss, but when I think back, well, I had some issues too, right. Those were some things I probably could have done, you know, better that created this, this disconnect. And, you know, going back to the more that you can have these small group conversations, right, with, with leaders about values and important things, right, because clearly Ms. Williams is not feeling valued in, in, you know, her role, right, and I want to make sure everybody knows this is recorded, so let's be really careful about what we say out loud, right, but, but again, it's, a, it's, just that, it's just that conversation about, you know, this is, this is how I feel valued, and when I don't feel valued, you know that you know there's a disconnect my you know recent teammate you know told me should i don't feel valued right and i and i know that right when when folks have left my company and there's been you know a couple and they didn't feel valued and i i have to look in the mirror and be like all right tom you're creating an environment where you know people don't feel valued at times so what is that about me you know tom miller that i need to look at and 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 really do a better job at and ask you know for help and really uh, study other people who i can tell value other people and like okay what what's the difference you know between them and i and part of that is knowing what they value right 
And so if you want to be an effective leader, you have to know what your people value. And you got to ask them those types of things. You got to know and have some genuine interest and get really, really curious about other people. And the more you can have small group conversations as an organization about important things um, is, is, is really critical. And I love here in you know, chapter seven, when he's talking about measuring transformation, he says, if we neglect to measure something we treasure, we won't retain its value. And I say it again, if we neglect to measure something we treasure, we, it won't retain its value. And it's like the only appreciable asset you have in your organization are other humans. There's nothing else that will appreciate in value. I mean, you know, people aren't real estate, right? They're not capital, but they, but they are human capital in a sense of that they will be the ones that will take your organization to the next level. And so there was, you know, he was, you know, sharing the story. This is where John starts to talk about the law of uh, priorities about, you know, activity is not necessarily accomplishment. This really made me think about a lot of our schools. You know, while we were working hard, we were hardly making a difference. And I just, you know, think about, gosh, I mean, the, the massive effort that we put in to being teachers and educators and principals, it's, it's, it's a significant number of hours. I mean, you know, everybody knows, how, you know, how many hours are in a week? Does anybody know the exact number? Come on, who's good at math? Mental math. One hundred and fifty-eight, right? Close. I love your try. You're right there. One, oh, one sixty-eight. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, one hundred and sixty-eight hours, right? So when you think about one hundred and sixty-eight hours, think about how many hours you spend either in school, thinking about school, thinking about how to improve your school, you know, thinking about the conversation you need to have with kids and teachers or responding to like other parents out of that 168? Is it above or below half? Is it above or below 84? What do you think? Above, yeah, maybe, right? So that's 50% of your week, right? That's 12 hours a day. So 12 hours a day, you're thinking about school and work. I mean, that's a long time. And if you're not seeing results, it could be because you're not measuring what matters to, to measure the right results. And so measuring what matters is about identifying what are those, you know, those really important tasks or activities that you do or kids start to do to let you know uh, that you're moving in a better direction. You're moving in a better direction, right? One minute at a time, one day at a time. And, you know, like when I said, to my, you know, sponsor, I don't think I can last a day without gambling. It's like, can you last a minute? I said, I think so. We'll start there. One minute. Can you do it for a minute, right? With that teacher, with that teacher that you're, you know, trying to make better, Courtney, is okay, well, could you do it for five minutes? Could you, could you try this, you know, questioning technique, you know, for five or three minutes or whatever, or, or what, or what could you do? Or what would you be willing to do? So these five Ds, I mean, these five Ds are a great way to strategize around the, the results you're trying to get. So discover is to find what's really going on, like what's our current reality, right? And who's, who's doing something about it? 
design is to uh, develop a strategy that begins with the end in mind and builds on your strength, not on your weaknesses, right? So remember, we talked about this. What, what, <clears throat> how can I make a difference? What are my, you know, uh, strengths? Mine is, you know, creativity and, you know, partnerships and I'm, you know, good at strategy. And, and then you uh, deploy, implement your plan, start small, fail soon, and adjust often. Did everybody catch that? Start small fail soon and adjust often. Now, if that's not the way of a teacher, an effective teacher, I don't know what is, right? I mean, because you've got teachers who fail soon, but then they don't realize that they're failing soon. They just keep failing versus the teacher that's constantly reflective and constantly making adjustments. This is what they're great at. And then document, make sure to uh, measure to make sure that your intended outcomes are being accomplished. So, you know, at the end of a lesson, you know, a teacher has a desired outcome. And based upon their formative assessment, they're going to know whether or not they're closer or further away from uh, the goal. This isn't anything but a lesson plan, everybody. This isn't anything but everybody's already done. And then the last D is a dream. Start to cycle over expanding what works and abandoning what doesn't. So if you were to look at these five, what, what one or two parts of these five scares you the most? Is there anything that worries you about these five steps? I think some folks may have a hard time with the failing soon and the making adjustments, right? Because not everybody wants to deviate from the plan. Like I got an established plan, just let me follow. Yeah, come on, I think one of the things that um, stands out that kind of scares me is that when you have the plan and you put a lot of work into it and it fails, you just want to give up right then and there because it's like, well, this was a plan inside your head that is bulletproof and it you're like it didn't work and then the idea is again oh let me let me try it one more time but i'm going to tweak this um i think within that in itself sometimes it's scary because i'm like well i'm not going to do it again because it failed because and then we put it on the on the students sometimes or the the group of people that we work in and i can only speak for me We fall in love with the plan, right? We fall in love with the plan. Instead of falling in love with what? What do we want to fall in love with? Do we want to fall in love with the, the process and the outcome? I like the outcome. Yeah, I want yeah, to fall, want in, love to fall with the in love with the goal. With the goal, right? With the dream, with whatever we're trying to get to. Now, there's two, you know, parts, you know, to that, right? So, like, what I heard Miss Williams say is, we put hard work into the plan or dedication into the plan, and I want to stick with the plan. So the only time you abandon the plan is if 
the data is telling you you're moving in the wrong direction. I think the greatest example is your GPS phone. If you use Google Maps or Maps at all, as soon as you get off offline, it used to say, I don't know if it still does, but it used to say rerouting, right? <laughs> rerouting. It's basically telling you you're going the wrong way. Now, if we had that in life every day, every time we made a wrong move, we would know, but the only reason is because the GPS is constantly measuring our progress. And that's what you want to have is you want to have something constantly measuring your progress towards the goal, towards the outcome, towards whatever is the destination for us. But I completely hear you, Ms. Williams, about, you know, we don't want to abandon the plan. And if you've been part of, when I do my uh, uh, skinny strategic planning session, like that's why, that's why that's a big issue because we spend more time and energy creating the plan than we do strategizing the goal, right? And so as a result, we don't want to just abandon the plan because we spend so much time and effort on the plan. And um, I'm, I'm just trying to, to, I'm just trying to turn everything around, right? Backwards design, keep, keep the end in mind and just continually to navigate towards that. Um, you know, based upon uh, the feedback. My son was a great example. He, he used to lick everything. And you could tell right away whether or not he was going to eat it, right? Because his face would just give you the feedback you needed, whether he liked it or not. And I was like, oh, that's feedback. And that's the same thing that Courtney's teacher needs, feedback, right? And just, you know, they need to be able to see the destination. And if they can't see that far, just say, well, can you just see kids lining up? Great, let's start there. Let's get the kids lined up with no issues. That's where we're gonna start. That's where we're gonna start. And you just start and grow from where they are, right? You can't make the plan too big and too cumbersome and too rigid that they can't get there. And, and so that's why a lot of, you know, a lot of plans fail is, may, or a lot of goals fall short is, you know, because they just quit because it got too hard. But um, was it Thomas Edison? Thomas Edison that created the light bulb, right? Isn't that him? What did he say? Did he say something famous about the light bulb? What did he say? I didn't fail. I just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb, something like that, right? Might even been more. But everything that you've created, that's been created here is, has come through failure. I mean, post-it notes. You know where post-it notes came from? I feel like a guy was like making some glue or something, I can't remember, and it was by a complete accident that, you know, post-it notes were uh, created. And uh, as a result, you know, he's a, he's a gajillionaire <laughs> because he made some crazy sticky substance. Even Coca-Cola was an accident. And if you want to talk to organizations that were afraid to move forward, Ms. Williams, do you, uh, do you ever remember um, dropping off a film at a photo mat? Remember when we used to take a picture and we actually used to, right? Like Kodak, Kodak owned the world in terms of, you know, photography. They refused, they refused to change their plan and evolve. Uh, I don't see much Kodak anymore. They are still in business, but they're nowhere near what they were in the past. Or MySpace, right? I mean, MySpace was 
was it. Everybody was it all about MySpace, but it didn't evolve and they died. And so part of the evolution of reaching your dream is being okay with <clears throat> killing the plan and moving forward. You don't have to kill the whole plan. Just kill that part that's not, you know, getting you to the next step. Um, and I love, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King's, you know, quote. He said, I don't need to know the, I don't have to see the whole flight of staircase. I just need to see the next step to get there. And that's all that you're really shooting for here. It's just that, that next, that next step. Thoughts around that? So in this, you know, uh, chapter seven, there's a lot, there's just a lot of really good information. I, you know, this was not built to be a professional development book. Um, I didn't think so for educators, but the more that I read through it and I think about it, I was like, gosh, you could just use the content in here to just create a really healthy organization that's, you know, based upon small action steps and a, and a giant goal. And you could use these five Bs, um, you know, uh, you know, to get there. Um, and this is, you know, is it page 162? He says, you know, Rob says, it, it can be difficult for us when we face the hard truth of what we discover. So when you discover, like when you're trying to find your current reality, but remember, your facts are not your truth, okay? Because facts can change. And so one prime example of facts, you know, changing is, is um, Roger Bannister when he broke the four minute mile you know, Barry, I think it was in 1944, maybe it was 54. Either way, it was 100 years after they started to clock the mile and, it, and, and nobody could do it. And he broke it. And do you know how long his uh, record lasted? Does anybody want to guess to how long his, his record of a four minute mile lasted after it took 100 years for the first person to break it? One week. Cool. Uh, super cool. It was like 19 days, I think, something like that. Maybe it was 46 days. 46 days, and it's been broken 19 times since then. Something to that effect. But it's crazy, right? Because he changed the belief of something. And so, you know, swims and Natalie, I mean, this is what you're doing. Like, your, your goal is to change the beliefs in the people you serve that they can achieve. And we learned a lot about uh, a Natalie school. Uh, uh, today she shared with us you know in our inner circle group and like that's what you know it's a school it's very similar to yours Courtney and it, it's just like these these young men and women need belief changes they need someone to believe in them they need efficacy because if because they don't necessarily you know know how to believe in themselves yet and um, really, really powerful, you know, to, you know, think about what these, you know, small groups and in the next, you know, chapter, John starts to talk about I choose and all that curriculum that you all could start to embed right there in your schools. And it's free about, you know, making effective choices and how to, you know, how to lead yourself and how to create transformation for you personally. So any thoughts around these these five Ds or just something you want to have a little bit more of a conversation around?
I mean, it's just chock full of really great stuff here. You know, no matter how much we plan or how hard we work, we're truly only effective when we've envisioned what a win looks like in the end. And that's the key. Like, you've got to be able to see the dream. But then on the next page, page 167, is without a plan, you won't get specific enough to achieve your goals, and you'll end up heading down a thousand wrong trails. I mean, so you can't not have a plan. <laughs> right? So you've got to have a plan. And that's the biggest issue, too. Like, I, when we sit down and we talk, really and truly, when our admin meetings, it's, it's a lot of talk. And then we end up not giving our assigning task, but at the beginning, what was the end goal? And I always end up saying, so, okay, what's the achievement for this in the end? It's not just about numbers, but what do we achieve and how do we, and our biggest issue is retaining our students. Again, our school is an alternative school. Again, our students are not the easiest students to deal with because of other social economic issues, but that is not an excuse what do we want to the end how many students do we want to graduate in the end and i don't mean just graduate for numbers but graduate authentically graduate that we can see them as the next person in leadership the next entrepreneur the next the next person that will make a difference because i don't know about anybody else but when i became a teacher that's what i wanted to do i wanted to make a change and but i didn't want it to be a stagnated change where we're doing the same thing every year because every year there's a different set of students coming inside our door. Every year we have to reevaluate how we're reaching them and what needs to happen. And, and one year it could be just the students and the next year it could be the whole family. So when we have a plan in place, um, I can see that happening. But when there's no plan and there's no talk of a plan and nobody's sitting down making a plan, or having pieces of a plan, I do not see it sustaining. And that, and as I said, there's several things that have made me make the decisions that I've made. And one of them is just that, because I am a planner, you know, and yeah. it's, it, it shows in everything I do. Yeah, I mean, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. I, I a thousand percent agree with, oh, I can't a thousand, but I can 100% agree with it because there isn't one to hundred percent. You're, you know, you are right. And Sometimes I think people get overwhelmed by the goal. And that's when I, I'm always like, well, just think small, right? I mean, you know, think big, but start small. And so, you know, when, you know, people will ask me, well, how did you lose the 40 pounds? I say, oh, well, you know, I, you know, I, I, you know, these are the you know, steps I took and I, I did some exercise and I did 30 minutes. Well, I can't do 30 minutes. Like they've already, they've already started to like talk themselves out of achieving. I was like, Okay, well, can you do five? Like, you can do five minutes of uh, jumping jacks. I would guarantee you that would get your heart rate up, <laughs> you know, five minutes straight. But there's just always something. So I hear you, right? And so when you find yourself, when you find yourself uh, at the head of the class, it's time to find a new class, right? And if you're waking up every day to go somewhere where you're not happy, then you got to find, you know, something that makes you happy. And that's, and that's a big part of of the growth process is, is, you know, doing that. I feel bad for those, um, you know, kids, because if you leave, it sounds like they'll lose a great advocate, you know, for them, but you'll go find another group of kids. Courtney's got kids who need you. Natalie's got kids who need you. Um, so Charlotte and Los Angeles, uh, they're, they're right there. I can't remember where you're at, Miss Williams. I can't remember what um, uh, state you're at. 
I'm in Chicago. Chicago, there you go. Perfect. Well, yeah, there's, yes, there's lots of kids who need all of us, right? So we just start one at a time. But I can guarantee you that you are making impacts one, one child at a time. And sometimes that's all that you can do, right? You just, you, you just do, you do what you can. You, you can't, um, you personally can't change people. You could, you know, you could bring them to an environment that will help them change. You can, you know, believe in them. You can give them opportunity, but ultimately it's, they're the ones that have to actually, you know, make that change and do it. So, well, cool. Well, let's, well, let's, let's get into our uh, values table here. If you're able to um, download, uh, Courtney dropped the, the hope uh, download into the, um, into the file button there. It's also in the email that I sent. Uh, let me see if I can pull this up. Hopefully you guys can see the screen here. So let me give me a... Um... Yeah, you're good. Okay, good. Thanks, Corbin. All right, I'm trying to figure this out here. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. Okay, all right. Okay. So when you when if you choose to, when you choose to um run your own tables, okay? And the link is in there. You can go to changeworld.com and you don't have to copy it. I'll share with you all of the lessons. So it's your choice whether or not you you sign up through there and you know, do that. Um, but you know when when you do it, there's an opportunity for you to create your own private table. Uh, and then there's an opportunity for you just to facilitate a table um, for, you know, people who are looking for change. And so I think both are great opportunities. And I think a 30-minute, it's not a 30 minute, it's like a 15-minute video just to watch about how to, you know, how to lead a table. So, um, and, you know, we're, so, so this is how uh, uh, we start, right? Um, everybody's got the lesson on hope up. And so the, um, we would start off with this, what, Practice that we commit to last week and what were the results. Okay, so each, each week is going to end with what's my action step for next week, which we always do. And then we you know, spend the first couple of minutes of, of the group talking about it, which is just a great way. I'm sharing this with you to show you that it will be easy for you to do in your own school, right? Or your own community or your church, whatever it is. It's not, it's not a lot of work. I think, you know, the best part about it is the content's created for you. But maybe the most important you know, content is the content of your life, right? The curriculum of your lives and the thoughts that come through you are going to be the most powerful. So this first one is on hope. Now, hopefully you took um, the um, assessment, right? If you took the assessment already, you would know your values. And hope happened to be my lowest uh, score. And that was the, you know, the question I asked you know, John about it. So I was really excited when hope you know, popped up to be the our first uh, value that we would talk about. So I can, uh, yeah, I can really get some insight on it. So uh, take turns reading the paragraphs as you read, underline the ideas that capture your attention, okay? So, you, you know, you can imagine this all being around, whether it's virtually or at a table uh, together, and, you know, we have a copy of this. So um, I'll, you know, read if anybody else, you know, wants to read, do it. Uh, you should hopefully with your own PDF, maybe you can, you can make marks and highlight here. So I'll, so I'm gonna do that for myself. 
Few words are more positive and promising than hope. John Maxwell believes hope can be the greatest asset for a person or an organization, and it is often the difference between success and failure. But what is hope really? Hope is more than simply having belief or being optimistic. Jonathan Sachs says, optimism is the belief that things will be better. Hope is the faith that together we can make things better. Optimism is a passive virtue, hope an active one. And most people would agree that optimism is greater than pessimism, but hope is greater than optimism. Notice the contrast between uh, people with low hope and people with high hope here. So let's just you know, take a look. So low hope uh, people avoid problems, focus on symptoms, feed their fear, get tired and give up, right? Maybe anybody in the room could think of someone that this might you know, describe. Versus high hope people engage in problem solving, focus on solutions, feed their faith, get inspired, and work harder. Psychologist Shane Lopez says, when we hope we have high expectations for the future and a clear-eyed view of the obstacles that we need to overcome in order to get there, we are primed for action. The negative things in life may attract our attention and open our eyes to the need for change, but only hope takes us forward to do something positive about them. All right, so I'm going to stop there. Any thoughts on this? Like, what are some things we want to underline? What's, what's you know, capturing our attention in this first, this first section here? I underline where it said, um, uh, we are primed for action. So the sentence before that, when we hope, we have high expectations for the future and the clear eye view of the obstacles that we need to overcome in order to get there. We are primed for action. Awesome. Is it, is it here? Okay. Here? Tell me where it is. I'm sorry. I missed it. Yeah, it's right there. This one, when we hope we have high expectations for the future. Yeah. 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 And this is really interesting because this is where I kind of got stuck with, I, I don't know why my score was low here because <laughs> I feel like this is, this is what I have, you know, high expectations for the future and a clear view of the obstacles need to overcome. So I don't know, maybe I scored wrong or I was, I don't know, I was doing something, who knows, but um, I feel I have hope, but I'm, but I'm going to learn more. So thanks for sharing that. We've got a couple of comments in the chat here. Um, hope, hope is the greatest asset. Yeah. Let's, let's see where that is. That, that up top here at the beginning here. Yeah. Hope can be the greatest asset for any person and organization. It's a difference between success and failure. You know, that, that kind of lines right up with what, what, you know, uh, Ms. Williams was just saying, right? I mean, it's possible that individuals in the organization don't have hope, right? Like, I just, you know, I think about this as a, you know, as an educator, if I didn't believe that the students could do it, they knew I didn't, you know, believe that they could do it either, right? So, I mean, I mean, you got to have a belief that you can achieve and make that change. So, good. Anything else in this first section? I probably would also mark that optimism is passive while hope is active. Mm. Yes, optimism is passive, hope is active. Yeah, that's. I think a lot that's of times. Really powerful. Also, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, go, please. I, I think a lot of times, too, when people think about hope, they think it's a, it's a belief, and oftentimes we're told to look at the facts. Like, look, look at the data. This is the data. 
do you think we can come mm-hmm. out of this? And a lot of people are like, well, the data is telling us that we're, we've hit the bottom. But it's also mm-hmm. imperative that as, as teachers, we have that hope, that faith, that that data is skewed in some sense that we can improve that. And oftentimes when people just look at the data, it's like, well, this is what we got. So this is what we got to work with. So, okay, if, even if we get a, 10 points, um, it's not enough. So, yeah, that, that little whole mm. part is like, we're tired, yeah. we give up. Yeah, I think that, and I think that with that concept, it's important to keep things realistic because I have a lot of good teachers on my team where I'm like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Do we think this is possible? And they're like gung-ho for it. But sometimes, you know, when you have like those beginning teachers, they have like that naive sense that they're just like, oh, we just keep doing the same thing and we're going to get there. And we're like, wait, no, like we've got to, we got to change it. But you have to have like a realistic goal. Like I couldn't be like, oh, you know, we, we scored this or, you know, oh, the school average was a 45 on this benchmark. Next, next benchmark, I want an 85. Like it's hopeful that we can get there, but it wouldn't be a realistic type of thing. Like we have to have, like we were saying, you have to have the steps in order to get there. Mm. yeah and a lot of it goes back uh you know to the mirror right i mean i was just you just made me really think about a school that i was trying to support with their academic piece and we talked about what does mastery look like in your classroom and you you could see the teachers moving from op um they, this this whole kind of like optimism is a passive virtue and hope is an active one right so i I, I it just dawned on me. I watched them move from optimism, or no, no, no. I guess they thought they had hope, and they moved back to optimism because they were almost realizing, well, I don't know how to do that. And maybe that's part of the issue. Like, even with your case, Miss Williams, right? It's I don't know how to move this school. I don't know how to move these kids. I don't know how to create transformation. So therefore. I can be optimistic, but not hopeful. And I'm just kind of talking out loud, but I don't, you just kind of maybe start to make some connections here of my own. And um, Natalie put a great uh, article here that you know she can share out there. Um, but she said, it's the uh, distinction between empathy or empathetic concern and compassion is the intention to move to action. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a big gap there. I've never even thought about the gap between optimism and, and hope because I am optimistic, but you're right. I'm, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's, well, that's helping me think through here as well. All right, perfect. Well, so let's keep going here. Hope starts with belief. Casey Gwynn and Chan Helen observe hope is the belief that your future can be brighter and better than your past and that you actually have a role to play in making it better. When you believe you can make a difference, you can take action. When you take action, you can make a difference. And hope is the catalyst for change and a better future. And Natalie, that, you know, kind of, you may have missed, you know, part of the time I was talking about this morning at the inner circle, but, right, you have choices and decisions, but, you know, decisions don't make a change until we act, right? And this is a big part. When you take action, you can make a difference. And hope is the catalyst for change and a better future. Um, but without action, there's, there's, there's nothing, right? 
When you believe you can make a difference, you can take action. Uh, hope identifies goals. When you have hope, you identify specific actions you can take to create positive change. Goals give your hope direction and a scoreboard. Hello, all the scoreboard, so important right there. For every goal you achieve, your hope grows stronger and the positive change you believe can happen comes closer to actually happening. So anything here, uh, you know, I marked uh, personally just a couple. I, I just think the idea of a scoreboard or a dashboard is so important, but I don't have one. <laughs> I was just writing in my book. I was like, I still don't have a scoreboard, right? I, I still don't have a way to track, um, you know, transformation or change or whatever, you know, I'm trying to do, right, to help other people and help organizations. So that's, that's such a big need, um, and I need to take action on that. Who else has any thoughts or comments on those two? There's two little sections there. Anything? Go ahead, Ann. Everybody, yeah, I want to jump in here as um, it, when you think of a scoreboard or a dashboard of some sort, and certainly data, you wouldn't think of something being maybe anecdotal, gets too wordy. Mm -hmm. But I'm on a, a team and I, I work with a leadership team in my school, and I've noticed, and my, it was my hope to bring people together for discussions around kids, kind of like a child study. And our dashboard or our scoreboard was measuring some of our conversation, capturing that conversation, but also to keep nudging these team members forward. Without the meeting, they don't come together to have some of these conversations. Without the notes or the mm -hmm. dashboard or the scoreboard, we're not capturing where we were and where we are, but also identifying where we need to go. So I, I need to rework that a little bit as I go into my fall school year and I'm gonna have some new team members and I'm thinking about shaking it all up, doing it differently, at the same time, without having something that captures where we are, what we're doing, and where we're going, and with the subjects being kind of all over the place, it at least was something to keep us grounded in conversation, keep us from uh, really not necessarily having a set agenda and a set content, but we could easily go and jump into these uh, kids' issues identify what was done the, the previous week, if anything, or if it's a new issue, mm -hmm. identify what we mm -hmm. want to do, what we need to do, and then identify who's doing it. So what I, I like this analogy, and I like that we were keeping score and, and emphasizing that we're measuring things, but I, I hadn't noticed before that this really was a nice way to record keep, and while it was wordy and could be lengthy, it did keep us focused, and the outcome was good yeah. because yeah. we obviously were helping many families, many students over time yeah i love that anna because it also aligns to all the high hope people right i mean because you're engaging in problem solving conversations you're focusing on solutions right you know you're getting inspired and maybe working harder and the working harder aspect is just a positive that you met all those times i mean that's a big piece i mean you know if you're having weekly discussions about improvement I'd have to say it's almost impossible not to improve, <laughs> right? You'd have to be sleeping during the meeting, I guess, right? But I mean, so that's, I think that's a great, you know, positive. It's not always, um, you know, one of my mentors will say, he goes, well, Tom, you got a result. You didn't get the result and that's okay. You got a result and now you know how, now you know what you may need to do differently in your next step to get a better result than you got uh, before. So that's great, man. Yeah, the hard part was the buy-in because every individual coming to the table didn't have, a, say, numerous uh, points or numerous tasks or numerous things that they were weighing mm -hmm. in on, yet 
they all weighed in on me, and certainly some team members, the social worker had a lot of uh, tasks uh, to complete, but they could also feel yeah. satisfied that their concerns were being addressed. So it did kind of offer a win-win for those that were attending. Sure, and you might be able to find some other anecdotal you know, evidence around that, right? Because if you think about, and if those four or five people who came to that table were treating the people that they serve differently, right, or were brainstorming new ideas or doing other research, then your impact may have actually multiplied, right? We felt it that way, yep. <laughs> yeah, there you go, perfect. Yeah, so those are other types of evidence that you could start to look at, so. I love it. All right. So hope exhibits willpower. Dale Carnegie said, most of the things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. The truth is, while others who lack hope do nothing, people with hope have the willpower to keep believing and keep working to make their world a better place. Hope finds pathways to change. Hopeful people find ways to improve the world. Hope fuels their positive mindset and their creativity. Hopeful people shine in negative situations because they can balance realistic thinking, the desire for a better future, the energy and the will to take action and the responsibility to help create positive change. Their motto can be summed up in the words of, oh boy, Nido Kubin, uh, your present circumstances don't determine where you can go. They merely determine where you can start. And I'm sorry, I'm sure I butchered that name, but very powerful. And we went to go to Paraguay a couple of years ago to teach these, you know, round tables and to work with these students. Uh, you know, the gentleman who was our leader, his name is escaping me. He's part of this, you know, John Maxwell group. Um, he said, he kept saying, he's like, look, your job out there, your job out there is to only help them build their awareness that their present circumstances do not determine where they can go in the future. And so um, this is the first time I've ever seen a quote, you know, similar, you know, to that. And it's merely a starting point. And uh, what a great way, right, for, you know, more than half of you right here uh, serve schools that are, you know, serving severely at risk young adults and, and, you know, kids. And I mean, this, if you could embed that message that you know your present circumstances and, and uh, conditions do not determine where you can go in life. Uh, that's that's a big part of that you know instilling hope, because uh, hope is the fuel for positive change. Anybody else have any thoughts on these last two subsections here about hope? This may be a bad question, but. Um, going back and looking at like the table or I guess the two diagrams that dictated the low hope versus the high hope mm -hmm. and I guess it's just the way that things are being worded there I feel like some people would use hope and faith interchangeably if that makes sense okay keep on talking so like for example when it starts with like hope starts with belief and it's like hope is a belief that your future can be brighter i feel like i would also know people that would want to take hope out of that and start it with faith is hmm. the belief and so i feel like it goes back and makes you not question but how we were talking about how optimism is described as passive and hope is active 
it makes me interested to have that discussion about how hope and faith are either the same or different is one active and is one passive in somebody's decision in, in deciding to do something. Yeah, I hear where you're going with that. It made me think of the quote where there's no where's there where there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present, right? So like the only reason the only way that you know people will act is if they have faith in the future. Um, you know, hope I, I would almost consider it, you know, the same here. Uh, but but I think maybe for me, feeding their faith here is like um they want more of it, right? They 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 seek out ways to uh, feed their um, hunger, right? To 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 solve these problems. And I think when I think about the most successful individuals I know, like they like never turn it off. <laughs> like they're just constantly, um, you know, feeding their hunger to be more and do more or to serve more. Um, and I would never ever put them over here on this left-hand side, but um, I don't know if the words matter or not in like, you know, like interchangeability, but there is no, there is no hope without faith, right? And, but then there's no hope without, you know, belief either. Can I, so can I, guess I ask what a I, question? Yeah, go ahead. So my question is, yeah, sure. then, with the interchangeability, and I, I get what you're saying, Courtney, um, I, I think when you said that, it made me think, can you have hope, but not faith? And I understand that you're talking about um, interchangeable and I look at it like this. I can hope that um, our school is gonna get better, but I, the hope comes where somebody else is gonna do it. And with when hope and faith comes together, I feel like I hope, th I, I have the hope that it's gonna get better. My faith is that we come together and do it all. I'll do it all. So, I, I guess at one point in time when I was beginning in my early stages of teaching, I had a hope that all the students inside my class was going to pass, but it was based on them, not on me and the tools that I gave them. And then after a while, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know what? I have hope in them, in them passing. And the faith is that when I put the right things in place, that that hope is going to become reality. I don't. I don't want to confuse anybody. But do you do you understand where I'm coming from with that? When I when I thought about you and when you said about hope and faith, because I started thinking about it a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just like how you were saying, where and I I also think it it comes into play with people's upbringing and and their own personal beliefs and things like that. But I mean, I've. I know that I know people that will say that you can have one without the other, but I think, you know, you asked a very valid question, you know, can you really have one without the other? Does one influence the other? Which one do you have to have first? And I find myself going back to when I'm working with my kids and, you know, they're discouraged and they're like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I can't do this. I'm never telling them, oh, I really hope that you can. I'm like, I have faith in you. Like, you got this. And it's just also when you're like triggering those words because, you know, yeah, I, when I talk to them and they're telling me their struggles, I'm never like, I'll be like, yeah, I'm hopeful that you have, you know, different things. But now I'm like, no, I have faith in you. Like, I know that you absolutely have the power to be able to do this and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that we as the leaders that's where we have to make sure um 
certain things from the top down. And that's the, and I feel like, you know, that may be with your specific situation and everything like that. And there, I mean, there are times you're just like, man, but you have that one person that's like, listen, you're here because of this. And my faith in you is because of this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take that and I'm going to run with it because now I don't feel like I'm running alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the the biggest part, especially when you're talking about direction, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're, we have so, for example, we have so many school events that are coming out and I'm all, I'm that person that's like, all right, like, do I, do you need me here for this? Like, what do I have to do? And this and that. And it's so hard for me and to have been there since the school opened. And I'm so used to like always being in stuff and I'm like, yeah, we could do da, 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 da. And so when I go and ask somebody about something and they're like, yeah, I don't have an answer for you. And I'm like, say what, what, what you mean? Like, we got to do this. Like what, what, huh? And so it's just like, all right. And so when I need clarity, I ask them like, that's literally, I don't know what, session with Tom or whatever that this started becoming my question but I'm just like so what's your vision for this like I get you want to do this but I need to know if this goes off successfully without a hitch like what does that look like for you because now we can work backwards Mm -hmm. to make it happen so I love what you two are saying and you know maybe other people think it but you know both of these both these individuals individuals have hope and it just made me think about like you know, COVID. Gosh, I hope those people are okay, right? But I wasn't out there handing out masks, right? I was quarantining, you know, and I was like, well, here's how I'm making change. I'm just, you know, following rules, right? Or, you know, the whole George uh, Floyd, you know, situation. I mean, you know, like, I got on that one webinar, and I said, yeah, I, I didn't know this was part of my role, right? I, I I hope for better relations, but I can't say that I have been one of these high hope people because I haven't done any of this, right? I mean, I've done very few things that could improve relations and equity, right? So, I mean, in a sense, but I have hope for it, but I'm probably over here. You know, to be honest, I mean, if I were to look myself in the mirror, like I'm, I'm not doing any of these things to improve race, you know, relations or equity or, um, well, not enough. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, waking up every day as this is, you know, part of my dream. So, you know, maybe that's where like you're heading, Courtney, right? Because feeding the fear or feeding, you know, the faith are two different things, you know, the you know, like the fear is, you know, failure and, and um, other people will, you know, um, judge me or, you know, or they'll say no, or I'll get shut. I mean, right. That's that fear, right. I mean, there's those, those, you know, students and those adults that have that fear of, um, you know, being let down or not achieving, right. Or other people, you know, you, you know, compared to, you know, feeding their faith is, Man, I mean, there's just some of those people that have this overwhelming sense of confidence that I know I personally don't have. I'm a pretty confident person, but I don't have, you know, levels of confidence as, 
you know, some of the people, um, you know, in my mentor group. So maybe as you're saying this out loud, like I think the difference here is this, you know, the faith versus fear, because both of these people have hope, but there's, you know, people who do something about it versus there's just, you know, they're hoping for a better future, but not necessarily willing to be part of the problem solving. You know, they're just kind of hoping that it gets better without action. That's maybe kind of what you two just made me think about as you were talking. I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in, but um, real good conversation, right? So again, imagine this conversation in your school, right? Or in your teams, or you're just really getting, you know, fired up around having important conversations rather than, you know, Ms. Williams was kind of sharing just talking. And that's a big difference. So anybody else want to, you know, chime in here on, on Courtney's question? I thought it was a really great, really great add-in. Yeah, the difference between not being a racist and being an anti-racist, yeah. Yeah, it's total action. I think one of the most powerful things that, you know, came out of all of that was, you know, someone kind of gave me a definition of, of, uh, you know, that your race is basically if if you wouldn't mind being any other race, right? If you wouldn't mind, you know, I was like, wow, that's a that's a powerful definition of it, right? I don't think a lot of people would agree, but I don't disagree either, because um, I would have no idea in that empathetic way what it would be like to you know grow up in you know poverty or being um, you know prejudiced against in any way. I've, I've never had that in my life, you know. Um, so how do you become that problem solver, right? I mean, how do you really make a significant difference in the lives of others without, you know, being on this side, right? And I can honestly say I don't, I don't, I don't engage in a lot of these pieces. So, and I should. Let's look at these uh, benefits, right? So when you develop hope, you experience the following benefits. Inspiring, you are inspired to believe in yourself and others, become optimistic about your future, become confident, then you can create a positive change in your world. You're motivated to take positive action. You find energy to keep going when you're feeling entirely discouraged and your belief attracts other people and inspires them to join you. So there's some steps for us to follow here. Um, Cultivate hope for yourself. Believe is a powerful thing. You must, you have much greater control over your ability to accomplish difficult things than you may think. You can improve your life and your situation, but you must believe in yourself to do so. Sorry, everybody. This is my voice. Develop hoping for changing the world. All people can do something positive for themselves and others. What can you do? And I think that was the question right that came out of this chapter what are you actually doing to help other people how can you really make a difference and if you're not sure ask the opinion of people who know and value you and number three take action with other hopeful people hope is contagious share your hope with others who who want to make a difference once you gather a group take action make a difference small and great a positive change just happens one step at a time and each step takes you closer to the hopeful future that you imagine. 
So which of these uh, three steps is, are you most likely to try? Anybody have any thoughts around these three? Most excited about, least excited about? Jump in here, Sam. Um, I'm on one <laughs> because I've kind of moved through these steps without knowing uh, the content of this book, but being kind of affirmed that there is a process and I can identify that my hope and faith has been kind of reinforced, if you will, over time, but I'm feeling it about now and felt it through last year. But right now with uh, trying to spin things in a positive way as a school year starts, having uh, limited staff and not having um, very many choices on who we're going to hire and can hire, the restrictions on certification, things like that. But that piece mm -hmm. of getting back to cultivating the, the hope, it, it's gotta come from within. I've gotta dig down and find that. I've gotta surround myself with people either again or rekindle some energy in those around me to uh, get fired up again. Because as we've spoken today, you gotta be ready to fail you got to move through the failure. You can't be fearful of it uh, too much. But I think we all respect it. Uh, we're all used to brushing off and getting up and moving on. But it gets a little tiring. You get up a little slower if you fall down those eight, nine, ten times. But it's also what gets us stronger. So I've got to get to a point where I'm cultivating that hope again and, and know that where I am and if I'm leading the team to get to action, what we've spoken about today is going to help. I've, I've been missing some steps of how to measure it, how to put it in words that will be meaningful to everyone, not just me. So you got to know the audience and how to plan for this. But um, I got to get back to really step one before I can understand that two and three will hopefully fall into place. I love it. I love your transparency, and I greatly appreciate that. And I'll I'll hop right in there with you. I I feel I'm at a two. I. I really need to get back to uh, one, you know, you know, tracking what we are doing, right? And then really identify, well, what can we do? How can we make a difference? We, you know, we set a goal last year to, you know, tithe, uh, you know, 10, you know, 10%. And for most months, you know, we hit that. That was kind of how I was trying to make, you know, change and impact and one way I could make a difference. And, um, but, but I really want to, you know, get back to this number two here and, and, and one measure what we're doing, right? And really try to um, uh, create a scoreboard to really show how we are making a difference. So that's, so that's important, you know, to me. And I saw a couple of people, Sharice and um, Courtney, I think put threes here. So this is awesome. So we got a couple of folks that are ready to take action with other hopeful people. I love it. Um, and then here's a couple of reflections here. So uh, choose something you underline that's important to you and take a minute to tell everyone what you chose it and why it's important to you. So I'll, so I'll open um, just kind of the floor up and that's how we'll end. You know, tonight we've got a couple people on. So something from within this hope, either conversation or something you underlined, um, just addressing, uh, you know, why you chose it and, and why, why it's important to you. Courtney, you mind going first? Not at all. Um, for some reason, even through all of our conversations, and I guess it's just because 
of you know the things that we're working on at our school i keep going back um to that quote for hope finds pathway to change where it says your present circumstances don't determine where you can go they merely determine where you start and mm-hmm. um i think that with a lot of things that we have to battle in the charter school world um it's very easy to fall into that belief of like well this is all that we've had in the past so this is all that we're able to do and you have to find the right people that are like no this is simply just the starting point like we can get to wherever it is that we want to go we just have to make sure that we've developed a plan and we have those checkpoints and we're monitoring it and we're being realistic with it. And I think that that's something that I always try to get people to pay attention to, um, especially like when we are, you know, creating like PDP goals and things like that, like all of these things that the teachers want to accomplish. I'm like, yes, I'm totally for it. You know, you could definitely get these, but um, you have to be, I, I try to make sure that people stay realistic with those things as well and just be like, okay, but remember, we're starting here. So is it feasible for us to start here and you get to this endpoint that you want in three months, six months, nine months, however long your school year is? Um, but I find myself keep continuing to go back to that quote because also I, I think it was the last book discussion that we had where we were really talking about um organizations being able to hone in on culture and how the culture can create that energy on whether or not things thrive or um don't thrive and i think that that's super important because what you don't want is which i'm sure it sounds like um and i our school are in the same boat where we're bringing in new staff and you're being super careful because not I don't want it to come out that way, but you you know, when you're bringing in new staff and you're bringing them in early or something like that, depending on who you've had before, you don't want somebody to bring up the past, especially if you're doing a bunch of change. And so I think it's just something to be cognizant of in that aspect. That's the quote, like we're having a, um, a community panel on Thursday and I'm so tempted to send this article to the people running that panel and be like, find a place for this quote to go. Because this mm-hmm. hope, like this is why we brought this community panel together to figure out how these community partners can partner with our students and our families and bring hope to them so that they can be successful. Yeah, I love it. You know, always remember that we don't think of ourselves as successful, but on rare occasions. So I love what Ann was talking about, like tracking those anecdotal pieces can really help you show your uh, path from here to there, because most people will look at their current circumstances and say, I tried so hard for a year and I'm not much you know, closer. But in reality, they are much closer. <laughs> you know, uh, it's just that where they want to be seems so far away. And that's where that's where it's easy to lose hope or to become a low hope, you know, individual in some of those, you know, pieces. Um, so good points, uh, Courtney, and great action step. Who else would like to share something that you underlined 
that's important and why is it important to you? I can go next. I underlined um, hope is the belief that your future can be brighter and better than your past and that you actually have a role in playing a role to play in making it better. And I think the key word there is that you have actually have a role to play. So I think, again, just a reminder that I mean, that's our commitment as educators, right, is to continue to remain optimistic and hopeful and to continue finding ways to innovate and <clears throat> to stay like they say like I said like I think like rooted in your bigger why is what I wrote down like just keeping that at the forefront as to as you keep making decisions and I think um for me it's just a reminder of like who I came to serve and that's parents and students and I think there's a I think there's a misbelief that parents don't have the tools and that students don't have the tools I beg to differ I think people are they're resilient communities and they have been doing this for years even before schools are actually formalized in in America right so like they have what they need. It's just finding the opportunities for them to have a, a seat at the table and put that at, uh, put that into action from their perspectives. And so I think it's just, for me, it's just really important to remain cognizant of that because the more you move up in leadership, I think the further away you get from, from people on the ground. Yeah, and I love that seat at, seat at the table concept. I think that's such an important piece is, is you know, the invitation and, and the actual inclusion of, of that is huge, so I love it. Anybody else want to share? All right, well, wonderful job, everybody. Great job with your first values table, right? That was great work. That's the first one I've ever led to. So we all did something possibly for the first time today, and that's how it starts. I mean, we just, you know, we're just we're just trying it out. There's no right or wrong way there's just a way and you know the goal is everybody you know has a seat at the table uh, to share so uh next week uh we're gonna maybe we'll get through the book and maybe we'll just you know push one, one week into august because i like to if you guys are all for it all happy um to do you know a couple more weeks of these values tables if you found this was valuable we can keep going and, um, and drive through that. So next week, let's, you know, definitely shoot for, uh, you know, chapter eight um, and any, you know, uh, reflections. If you're, if you're gung-ho about it, go ahead and sign up and change your world or just feel free to take that first, you know, lesson that, you know, we did and maybe, you know, try it out with some of your team members. And as soon as the second lesson becomes available uh, to me, I'll make sure I share that back out. So change your world. And then there's also in chapter eight, um, is the start of where John's talking about the I lead and the I choose, you know, curriculums. Um, I have access to that too, so I'll make sure this week I get that out, uh, you know, to you guys. But again, you can look in the book and you can sign up for it. And again, it's all free and it's real easy. And I'd be happy to help uh, you embed that in your schools. It's a great curriculum. It's what we did out in Paraguay, and it was a lot of fun. So, uh, um, and that would just be my gift uh, to you all and to the kids that you serve. So you let me know. So. Great job changing your world, changing and, and hanging in here, um, you know, for this time frame. And Natalie, you've had all sorts of time with me uh, today. So, so, so I guess that I'm not doing that bad. I love it. So Natalie's willing to hang out with us, you know, for a couple hours. So love you all. I believe in you all. Keep, keep feeding your faith, right? And keep on paying attention to those opportunities around hope where you may have 
low hope, right? That conversation between Courtney and I think it was Anne and and uh, Miss Williams, I mean, that really sparked my why my hope score is probably low because I didn't really think about, but I'm probably on that low hope side a lot, not in a intentional negative way. It's just I just I'll just try to be the best me I can be, but I'm not, you know, uh, taking action steps, uh, you know, to make that change at a at a more uh, a more uh, solution oriented model. So I so that's what I'll start working on. That'll be my action step for this week is asking somebody how can I make a difference. So I'll ask you guys. You guys can email me and say, here, Tom, here's something I think you could do better uh, or more or be more more um, you know impactful with. And the first I could turn my video on, right? I didn't realize I wasn't on there. So great. All right, everybody, have a great week. Courtney, you take care of yourselves. Make sure you're all, uh, uh, you know, masking up where you got a mask. Keep your vitamins on, and uh, let's let's stay safe out there, everybody. We uh, we need you. You know, we need you all rich, and we need you all helping and making a significant difference in the world. Bye bye, everyone.